would you pause with us once more as we pray? Jesus, we have come through this week. We have faced all different kinds of things that brought us to this point, but here we are together in your presence, trusting, longing, knowing you will speak and that you desire to speak into our lives. So we pray, thank you. We say thank you, and we open up our hearts and minds to hear from you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Some of us ask this very question, how do I make it through suffering? How is it that I can make it? You might hear a story like Sandra's story and say, how did she make it through that? Or some of you have even, I've been asked the question many times, maybe some of our other pastors have too. Revelation speaks of these end times just before Jesus returns. How will I make it? I know what I've made it through so far, but perhaps there's even something more that I'm going to go through, and I don't know how I will make it. What does it look like to make it through hard times? What does it look like to go through suffering? We start a new message series today that will take us throughout the coming weeks. We're journeying through the book of 1 Peter. Though I've read this book many times, I've, I've not ever uh, preached a series through 1 Peter. If you have your Bible with you today, you can join me in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now a little tip, if you have made it to Hebrews, you have a little bit further to your right. If you made it all the way to Revelation, go a little to the left and you can and get to the right spot. It's a little letter, just sandwiched right there in between. You can find this letter, this place in which we can hear a word about how we make it through suffering. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have, to, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, like Peter himself has, you love him, you believe in him, and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of these things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Praise be to God. This is the word of God for us today because we recognize today, and this brings me a whole new awe again at our God, that this message that was intended for these believers was also intended for us. God has a word for us today in this letter that Peter wrote so long ago. This series is called Overcomer. We're going to spend these next weeks here camped out in 1 Peter. Peter talking to believers who are going through some hard stuff. And throughout this whole letter, I'll give you an overview. He says to them, look to Jesus. In Jesus, you are already an overcomer. I know you feel alone right now, but Jesus is with you. I know it's scary right now, but Jesus is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. I know you're disconnected and feel far from home. Remember your inheritance and your place in the family of God. God's elect, God's chosen ones, God's people living as exiles, both Jews and Greeks, now together in the five regions in Asia Minor. They were scattered. The use of this word scattered, these discouraged and despairing ones, seems to indicate that they were together in Jerusalem. That Jesus committed them to bear this message we know in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches this powerful sermon. And they are then sent back to their places. That spread the gospel some. But it wasn't until the persecution came in Jerusalem. It wasn't until the suffering and hard times came upon the people of God that the gospel went even further, that the reach spread even farther because of what they were going through. And so this, in a standard form for the letter of their time, in this opening salutation, Peter shares who it's from and who it's to. Peter, an apostle, of Jesus Christ. Peter, a disciple of Jesus himself. Peter. Let's remember who Peter is. A disciple of Jesus with passion and zeal who found that his best desires and longings were ones he could not fulfill on his own. He wanted to love and serve Jesus. It was his greatest desire and longing. And he was unable to do it. He denied Jesus. Jesus forgave him. Jesus rescued him. Jesus reinstated him. It is this man who knows about loss and about failure who is also the same man who knows about grace and who knows about the redemptive work of God. It's not someone else's story. It's his story. You can tell the difference, right, when someone shares their story. When Sandra shared with us, this is my Jesus, Jesus who led me through the darkest valley, you can feel it. You know when someone is sharing with you what they have experienced, what God has led them through, 
or if they're just sharing something that they've heard or believe. Revelation 12 verse 11 that Kate read this morning is this truth that whatever hard times we face or whatever happens during that time right before Jesus returns, the two ways the text says that we will make it through, that we will be overcomers is by an experience with the salvation of Jesus, the blood of the lamb, and by the word of our testimony. That is sharing our story. The power of saying, Jesus helped me overcome. I was rescued. The salvation of God came to me. And so we are able to be overcomers because of this experience with the salvation of Jesus and telling our story. Being strengthened by telling each other, this is what God has been doing in my life. This is what it looks like in my story. Peter was with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He watched Jesus in the everyday. He lifted him up and he denied him. But at the end of it all, through all of the highs and the lows and the insecurities of his own journey, he worshiped Jesus as God. He came to know him as his savior. And he would spend his entire life all the way till his last breath proclaiming the kingdom of God. You see, this letter that Peter wrote, he wrote it in 62 to 64 AD, around 30 years after Jesus was raised from the dead. It was at the time of Nero that the persecution of Christians really started ramping up, and he would be killed sometime within the next five years of writing this letter. So when Peter talks about this story, this living hope, this inexpressible joy, this inheritance that can neither spoil, fade, or perish, he says, I'm speaking from my own story. I know this Jesus, this Jesus that I've walked with and talked with, that I failed, and yet he rescued me. This is Peter's story. We know that he was martyred for his faith around 67 AD inside the city of Rome. And we know that he requested to be crucified upside down so that even though he was being martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ, he would not die as his savior did. He himself was an overcomer, not because he mastered it. He didn't finally reach out and say, yeah, I figured life out, so let me write you a letter about it. But because he turned to his master Jesus. And he learned what it was like to trust in his master Jesus. Through all the walking with Jesus, Peter loved him. Peter trusted him deeply. This letter to believers who are going through it, well, Peter knows what that's like. And he also knows how trustworthy God is to pull us through. So that's Peter. That's Peter who wrote this. Then if you look on this map, you can see where these believers now scattered are receiving this letter from this letter from Peter these people in Pontus Galatia Cappadocia Asia and Bithynia all parts of Asia Minor all parts of modern day Turkey they were spread out all over where they were once able to nurture and grow and be discipled among each other they are now scattered I'd like you to hear this in a few different versions I've chosen five you can look it up in a few more Um, This is how the NASB translates, to those who reside as aliens, 
to the pilgrims of the diaspora, to God's chosen people who live as refugees, to those living as aliens, and then the last one um, from Eugene Peterson, to exiles scattered to the four winds, not one is missing, not one forgotten. These are the ways of translating this word in the Greek, which means an exile living far from, from home. This word, refugee, really captures it well. This is the biblical image of a Christian. Do you know this song? I'm a pilgrim and I'm a stranger. You know that one? This song, this idea captured that you are a stranger, that you are a refugee, that you are scattered, that you are a stranger, and that there's this longing for a homecoming, longing for finding yourself in the place where you can be in the presence of Jesus. Sometimes we feel scattered. Sometimes we feel like a stranger. I'm the only one in my family. I'm the only Christian in my workplace. I'm the only believer at my school. It's not true most of the time, but we can feel like this. We can feel like strangers. I'm the only one wanting to stand up for this. We're a scattered people. We're strangers in the land. And like the early believers, this was God's plan because he scattered them to be witnesses, to share the love of Jesus and the sweet fragrance of Jesus in their life, to draw people so that when you show up to the post office, when you show up to the bank, when you show up to your school, when you're at your mechanic shop, in those places, the witness of Jesus shines forth and people are drawn to the salvation power of Christ. It was his plan from the beginning, but it's hard for us sometimes. These scattered strangers, that wherever we go, we would offer the love and hope and grace of Jesus Christ. They were scattered, they were strangers, and the text also says that they were suffering. Do you relate to this a little bit? Do you ever feel like that? Scattered, strangers, suffering. Some commentators even point out that perhaps their suffering because of persecution was causing them to shrink back from relationships, that they were no longer leaning in to show up with their friends or their coworkers or their neighbors in the same way. And so Peter, throughout this letter, encourages them, keep living holy, godly lives in front of others. Keep showing up with the sweet fragrance of Jesus, this living hope in your life. So Peter encourages them to stay connected. So what does he say at the start of this letter? Peter, the apostle of Jesus, to these scattered strangers suffering for the name of Christ. What does he say? There's an experience that I will never forget. It's a very sacred experience for me. It happened several years ago. I have a friend who is like a sister to me. I don't have any sisters, but she is like that to me. And we are a part of the same doctoral cohort. So we had the opportunity for all of those years that every year we got to show up for two to three weeks in a place and not only were we learning amazing things but we got to spend time together. One of the biggest blessings. And in one of those particular years we were both going through a lot. We were both facing so much. And so this, uh, 10 years ago now, we were there that evening and we were journaling and praying both in the same room but quiet and then we said let's pray together so we started praying clasping hands with each other pouring out our hearts to God from the places that we were both coming from and as we did that she started to sing she started to sing doxology 
praise God from whom all blessings flow. And my voice joined with hers and tears streamed down our face as in that borrowed room, suddenly there was sacred ground and we were experiencing God right in the midst of what we were going through. Have you had an experience like that? Just, I will never forget that moment. I watched her claim doxology over all of the parts of her life. I watched her claim praise God in the midst of this. It was powerful to witness. That's what they, they commentators refer to, this beginning of 1 Peter, verse 3 to verse 12, is a prayer, a blessing, a song. It's a giant run-on sentence of doxology. So Peter says, I'll start with identity. Here's who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And then here's who you are, God's chosen ones. And then in the place in the letter where he would normally be sharing some praise or accolades for the people that he's writing to, he bursts into doxology. And he starts praising God. To these people that are suffering, to these people that are scattered, to these people that feel like they are strangers in the place where they are, he begins with praise. He reminds them of who our God is, and he pours out his heart in these sentences. This is what one commentator says about his flow here. Grammatically, our passage is one massive run-on sentence. While such lengthy sentences, 10 verses, tweak the nose of modern English teachers, Peter's grammar is wonderfully elegant as well as profoundly expressive of the grandeur of his subject, salvation. The saving power of Jesus. To those who are suffering, scattered, feeling strangers, he says, let me point you to the saving power of Jesus. And so he goes through these sentences, this sentence after sentence, this blessing upon God. He, Peter blesses the Father for his new birth to his people. He, which leads to their majestic hope of final salvation. This expectation of final salvation leads them to rejoice in spite of their suffering about that final day of Jesus Christ. The very Jesus Christ they both love and trust as they await the final day of salvation. The very salvation that was the subject that all the ancient prophets of Israel sought to see but did not see the fulfillment of. This whole section for today is a glorious doxology. Let's zero in on verses six and seven once more. Verses six and seven says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may prove, be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. How do you do when suffering comes in your life? There are people that are almost like bring it on and they stand up under fire and there are others that crumble at the mere thought of it. Most of us are somewhere in between. But how do we relate to suffering that we go through? How do we get through the trials that come in our lives? Peter's message is to persevere in the faith because Jesus has already overcome. You are receiving the salvation at this time and for the future. Peter says, recognize troubles are temporary. Press on because of the experience that you have with Jesus. 
and the hope of what is to come. Inexpressible joy in verses 8 and 9, these are not grin and bear it words. These are not white knuckling it and just making it through. Peter actually says, you can have inexpressible joy even in the midst. Why? Because of the love of Jesus that we experience and the love that is poured into our lives and the love that we pour back to God. Salvation isn't really popular. Let's be honest. None of us really like to feel like we need a savior, right? We don't like the feeling. We don't want to think about needing a savior. We are, according to some, mostly good people just doing our best and we don't want to need a savior. But the story from Peter's own life, which I see reflected in this letter, is that when we experience the freedom of being completely saved by Jesus, the love of God and of Jesus Christ causes us to have inexpressible joy because it wasn't ours to do, it was a gift. We experience this freedom of I've been rescued God has saved me in the rescue. The salvation that comes from Jesus gives us the opportunity to overcome the trials even though we haven't made it through them yet. In Jesus we have, in verse 3, living hope. A hope not dependent on our current circumstances. Living hope appears seven times throughout this short letter Peter is obsessed with this, living hope, hope that is alive in us. This hope isn't wishful thinking. This hope isn't try harder and make it, or the little train that says, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. I can just do it. It's already done. He says this living hope comes because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and the same power that lives in you is the power that resurrected Jesus Christ. That's your living hope that it's already done, that Jesus already did it. And so the hope that you and I have, the hope that bubbles up in spite of and through our challenging circumstances and sufferings, and those times when we feel scattered and feel like we're a stranger, like we're alone, is this hope that comes from what Jesus has already done. What Jesus has already completed. Yes, we wait for the full salvation in time, but we have living hope in the midst of suffering because Jesus has already completed his work. Now, one commentator I just had to share, he shares this about 1 Peter. This letter that we're reading is exuberant in tone and exalted in language. Virtually every paragraph contains vivid imagery and a skillful use of figurative language. The, one, the, the bo- whole of the book is urgent and intense. It's like he can't contain his own joy. He's like, you have this living hope. Now let me tell you, and it's imperative after imperative, this excitement, this joy that Peter has. He's like, you have to know that we have this in Jesus. This is what Jesus offers to us, his completed work. When the spacecraft Challenger exploded seconds after its launch, The nation was plunged into mourning unlike anything since the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. How many of you remember that moment? Anyone here that remember that moment? Condolences poured in from all around the world. For the first time in our nation's history, the President of the United States delayed his State of the Union address. Yet on that very day of the tragedy, President 
Ronald Reagan declared the following, that following a thorough investigation into the cause of the explosion, the National Space Program would continue. And the whole nation agreed. Why? Why was it so clear that we would keep pressing forward? Well, as Herschel Hobbes says, the brave men and women of the Challenger were but the latest of that long line of explorers who have, held, have led the progressive march of humankind. They can be characterized as those who were ever looking beyond the horizon, not content to sit idly by in the narrow confines of the present existence. These men and women have sailed uncharted seas, marched through unknown lands, and scaled lofty mountains. When there was no more earthly horizon, they looked out to space and were soon walking on the moon and gazing at distant stars. They had vision. They were only the most recent explorers in a long line of those who had gone before them throughout every generation and every time. So of course, we keep moving in spite of suffering and in spite of challenge. We are not the first. We are not the first Christ followers. Some have said, this is, we are in perilous times. We are in the midst of suffering and trial right now. Yes, we are, and we're not alone. There are people that have gone generations before us. Every generation has had their suffering and every generation has had the living hope of Christ to sustain them. And we are desperately in need of capturing and holding on to that vision of how Jesus wants to keep working in and through his people. So just like the challenger, just like when trials come, just like when those sufferings happen, we say we will keep going because we are the followers in the lineage of those who have followed Jesus Christ from before Jesus, during the time of Jesus, and after Jesus. We're a part of this legacy, this heritage of faith that has leaned in deep dependent, trusting on the love of Jesus. We persevere like the marathoner who doesn't quit when they're tired or they get an ache, a charley horse in their leg. We persevere like the doctoral student who keeps pressing on through untold pages, like the medical professional who keeps right now serving patients in intense times. Why? Because the end result is worth it. Because we can see a vision for what will be, an inheritance that can neither spoil, fade, or perish in the presence of Jesus, our Savior. Because the end result, the race is won, the degree is earned, the people are served, we keep the vision clear. There are voices that say to us, things won't work out. Things will always be this way. Things will never change. But the voice of truth spoken through Peter in this letter, speaks differently. No temptation has seized you except what is common to all of us. But God is faithful, and this is Paul in 1 Corinthians, to provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. These words that give us hope and courage to say, keep pressing on, keep the vision in your sights. How will you make it through suffering now? How will you make it through perhaps more suffering as Jesus' return approaches? Peter says, you can even make it through suffering with inexpressible joy. <laughs> inexpressible joy because of the living hope in Jesus. Because of Jesus. 
This is a divine rescue, friends. This Overcomer series is not 10 ways to be an overcomer or three easy steps to experiencing overcoming in any part of your life. But Peter says, look to the rescuer. You can be an overcomer because he has already overcome. And as you trust the one who has overcome, you can know that his power will be at work in you because greater is the one at work in you than the one at work in the world. Yes, this is Peter, the one to whom Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you make it through, when you are through, go back and strengthen those around you. Jesus says to you, I have prayed for you. I am praying for you, for you to make it through by the living hope in Jesus Christ. This Jesus the one who is coming is also the one who now is with you. Yes, we are in the midst of a battle. Yes, we are in the midst of suffering. But the primary battlefield for most of us is in our minds. Plead the blood of Jesus. It's not you but Jesus. The same power is in you, friends, that raised Jesus from the dead. That is how we will make it. With inexpressible joy.